Good morning. It is Danger Dan here in the talk shop. Got another bitchin' show for you today. Last week, I went down to Austin, Texas to Providence Cycle Works and sat down with my good friend Xavier. Dude, this shop is amazing. It's like a like a museum of memorabilia of stuff that he's collected throughout the years, riding motorcycles, playing music. He was the drummer for Buck Cherry for almost 10 years. He's been riding for Cycle Source probably for just as long. And uh, just a super rad dude. He's been in and around the motorcycle industry since before he started playing the drums. And now he's building choppers, dude. <laughs> and he's building some rad fucking choppers. He raced in the Sons of Speed. Uh, dude, I first met him down, I guess in Dallas. We talk about it. Saw the first bike he built, or the you know the first bike I saw that he built was in a show that Cycle Source put on down in Galveston at the IMS show, or not IMS. Anyways, down in Galveston, and it was good to finally sit down with Xavier. We've been talking about doing this for a couple of years now, and it just worked out. He was recently at Biketoberfest and picked up a frame, a, a roller that Bill Dodge has been putting together for me for my good buddy Randall. And uh, anyways, I got that back. I got a sweet podcast out of the deal. I'm a lucky dude. And uh, I'm stoked to have captured X's story to share with you guys. So let's get into it. Extermination Day with Thou Shall Not Hassle. Thank you, Zach, from Heavy Clothing. I'll be coming in hot to Cleveland uh, probably tomorrow or the day after that. Anyways, I will see you there, Zach. Thank you, sir. Um, You know, we got some dates. The biggest one this weekend, Fuel Cleveland. Cleveland, Ohio. Be there. I'm leaving in a couple hours. Flying out. Going to go see the boys in Dayton and come over to Cleveland. <clears throat> Next weekend is Just Kickers at Yellow Rose Canyon. That's right. They brought Just Kickers back, and it's going to be next weekend at Yellow Rose Canyon. The Outbound Train will be playing. Lulu and the Black Sheep will be playing. I assume that Rhino is going to be cooking barbecue. So get on your motherfucking kickstart motorcycle and meet me at the canyon. This show, like all shows, is brought to you by mcshoptees.com your t-shirt of the month club the only way that you can support every single motorcycle shop that's right it's like a magazine subscription but you get a t-shirt every month and each month i feature a different shop from around the country and we do a custom one-off shirt that's only available through this subscription if you'll sign up you'll know more what the fuck if you'll sign up, you'll know more. Act like I've never done this one before, dude. Each month, each T-shirt comes with a postcard that tells you about the shop, where they're located, and what they specialize in. Dude, it's fucking rad. This month's shop, let's see, <clears throat> November. 
So this mud shop is spoken dagger out of Buffalo, New York. Dude, and Gorgeous George did the artwork. It hasn't been released yet. And and if you didn't get signed up before the first, then I, you know, you're probably not getting one of these shirts. Um, dude, it's fucking sick though. So you fucked up. But if you'll sign up before the end of this month, <clears throat> you got a chance at getting next month's shirt, which is gonna be. I'm not telling you yet. Not telling you yet. Uh, Spoken Dagger out of Buffalo, New York with Gorgeous George Art at Sick. Last month was Dirty Dirty's Chop Shop out of Dayton, Ohio, where I'm going today. Uh, dude, that was sick, too. Nick did the artwork. I don't, I don't know. If you're not getting these shirts, you're fucking up. They come in men's sizes, women's sizes, and kids' sizes. MCShopTees.com. Sign up now. Uh, I've got some really badass shit to give away on this show, like, Really badass shit. Every month, I do a $100 gift card to Lowbrow Customs. Lowbrow Customs, dude. That's awesome. Uh, last last month's winner, I have not heard from. I believe I sent them an email, but I haven't heard from them, and I don't have their address, So, and I don't have it in front of me now. So check that out. I'm going to give away another $100 gift card to Lowbrow Customs this month. That's right. Every month, we do that. Every single month. So... LowbrowCustoms.com. I've got a motor from B&B Racing out of Metairie, Louisiana. A shovel head motor we're giving away. And I'm also giving away a gas tank from Lowbrow Customs painted by Chemical Candy Randy. And I've got a danger zone sign that the tattoo troubadour himself. Dude, it's built. It's fucking sweet. So... DangerDanceTalkShop.com. There's a Patreon tab. Click that. Just click that. Go there. For every $5 you contribute between now and the end of the year, we'll give you a chance at winning that motor. Anybody who donates anything gets a chance at winning a $100 gift card to LowBrockCustoms.com. So go sign up right the fuck now. Um, Quick, before we get into this, sit down with Xavier I will be flying to Dayton today. We'll be driving to Cleveland, I don't know, tomorrow or Friday. We'll be at Fuel Cleveland all weekend, and I'm fucking super stoked. Um, Yeah, that's all I got. Fuck. Let's sit down. This is Xavier Muriel. Xavier. What's up? Thanks for having me, dude. Dude. It's a great spot. You dig it? Yeah. It's, so funny. Like a, it's got a little homey feel, huh? I was hanging out waiting <laughs> on you down the street. <laughs> I didn't even dude, think about I that. Finally, I mentioned it. I'm like, hey, so what's up over here? Where's, where's <laughs> well, X at? Yeah, well, you kind of looked around. You went, there's no lathe. There's no welding tables. There's, there's a bunch th- of bikes, <laughs> but there's, there's some stuff missing here. <laughs> I didn't even think about it, man. I'm sorry. I should have told you. Well, and then I saw Steve's van, and I was like, damn, that's a sick van. Right? It's like Xavier down. He, he had a fucking big white van. Now he's got a fucking sweet old Chevy van. Like, I can't believe I, I was excited. He's when not I driving that around the country. No. 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 That thing is sweet, isn't it? It is. Like, dude. And I bet it goes around the country, but you know, when you make commitments, yeah, yeah. you got to have something. 
Like, I'm redoing my van so that I can right. have an old van, but I mean, I'm fixing to rebuild a V8 motor for the first time. It may not go anywhere. <laughs> it may get rolled out of the shop, but I am trying to prepare to be able to go everywhere. With and you're it. doing it yourself, so that's all that matters. Yeah. <laughs> right on. Yeah, right it's on. actually turned into a, you know, 318, I pull out, I was just going to send the send it to the machine shop. Right? Sure, sure. I'm like, ah, oh, you know. Maybe I can do a little assembly. I'll, I'll have them do the, the block, you know, punch out the holes, put the cylinder, pistons in the cylinder. Right. And then I'll do the head, you know. Sure. And and then you talk to a machine shop, and they're like, take in work? Nah. Right, yeah. Nah. Like, yeah. like, maybe hit us up in two months. And yeah. I'm like, wait a second. Yeah, no, exactly. No, no, no. If, if you're lucky, it's Yeah, and that was hit us up in two months. Yeah. And then maybe three months after that, so I start looking for rebuilt shit or just... My options, a crate motor. Yeah. I found a block straight from the machine shop with pistons and a crank and all the bearings that had been sitting in some dude's shop for six years. 600 bucks. And I go over there and it's all well kept. There's like a tiny couple places of surface rust. Right. So I got that to put together. And then I found wow. some aluminum race heads. I was just wanting to build like a a stock motor so it'll go everywhere. Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. trying to build a hot rod, but yeah. now I got a bunch of hot rod parts. In a hot rod van. You know, it's going to be. And I'm putting a four-speed <laughs> shift on the floor, dude. Come on, man. And it's all stock parts. Yeah. Like, they did this. I don't know how many they yeah. did, but I got a manual. And is this going to be the, for the daily driver or going across the country, Both. throwing a bike in the back? And My just... wife's van that yes. I like to use. Yeah. <laughs> I really like to use it with a stand. That was a disclaimer. That's <laughs> my wife's van. Yeah, but, she's yeah. got to have something cool to drive around in. <laughs> Can't be sending her off. And right now she's driving around the in law, her dad's Kia. Oh, he got a Jeep. And right, my truck's fucking in the shop. That's a loner outside. Right. We got some vehicle situations going on. Right, Pan America's at the dealership. What happened with that? Oh, dude. I mean, nothing really. Yeah, I, you know, the, I broke the suspension. Which, you know, I'm not going to even fault anybody but myself for what I did do it. Right. Uh, but there was some communication, you know, the it's just not fixed, right? Right, now, right. You know? And then, I, I, <laughs> I mean, I don't see anything new in here, right? See, you're uh, not dealing with dealerships on the regular, right? At all. It's different than yes. going down to Mark. Yeah. You're like, hey, I need some shit done. Yep. Okay. Yep. So I'm trying to, like, I don't want to like talk shit because I know that this is just like me not being yeah. familiar with this process. Right, right. But you know, and it's a whole new bike for them. This ain't just a whole new bike for them. This is like a whole nother, you know, it's, it's not a new Road King. No. It's a fucking new like yeah. dirt bike. Yeah. Like they're just, it's just a they, lot. They have not worked out their own bugs, much less the customer's bugs when the or customer the bikes or the bikes. Yeah. Bugs. Yeah, there's a lot going on. Period. So yeah. luckily, you know, my vehicle situation, I, you know, I wasn't even going to be able to do what I wanted to do with that right, bike right. this fall. So it's because it, I, I can't if that was like if I had sold my chopper and bought that thing. Oh, my God. Yeah, no. I'd be fucking I would be at the dealership. Literally. The funniest thing was is when I showed up yesterday, like, so why are you here? And I'm like. My fucking motorcycle's here. What do you mean, why am I here? You should be asking where I'm at yeah, exactly. when I'm not here it, and my motorcycle's it, here. Like, exactly. I'm not here to pick up a pizza, okay? You know? Okay. Uh, but I went up there and, like, I just want to make sure we're all on the same page, yeah. you know? Like, you know, just making sure everybody's there. Right. But the, 
you know, it's something's up with the battery or the starter. Fuck, I don't know. It's it's developed more problems since it's been in their hands. Oh God! Uh, not that I, th- I don't think they did anything. They might have not done some things. I yeah. don't know. Re- I really don't know. And you know what? And let me ask you this: uh-huh. as a person who ha- who's had one of those and who's beat the shit out of it. Probably more than anybody's ever done R&D on that motorcycle, which is why... I mean, they reached... Some of the R&D people... Or one guy reached out and was like, we that's didn't what do I'm, any of that. That's what I'm talking about. We didn't do any of that. So when you have a situation like that, mm-hmm. that you have to take the bike to the dealership because that's what... Right. You don't know how to... I was like, Mark, you ready to start learning? He's right. Like, oh, right. Know. So, and you're a chopper guy and have been. You know your way around those things in and out. Do you find now that when you have to do a situation like that, it's a learning curve? And do you favor the chopper more because of not knowing that? Here's the deal. The chopper was the same way when I first started riding it. Okay. You know, I wasn't dealing with a dealership. Right. So now it's just like, instead of like reworking the avenues that I've created, learning how to keep a chopper on the road. Right. Just learning. Right. Learning the new. Sure. Trying to Because I remember the first time I met you, we were in Dallas, and it was, the I guess, the IMS show. And we were all staying at the Cycles Horse house. And you showed oh, up yeah, yeah. on your pan, oh, no, your shovel. And it was cold, dude. It was cold out. And I remember Callan going, yeah, man, you know, Danger Dan, he rides everywhere. And he's from Texas, but he rides everywhere. And I'm like, no fucking way, man. Come on. And I was so green, you know, and literally... We got we got all got up to leave that next morning after whatever was done, and there you go, all bundled up, you and you kickstarted I mean, that thing. It was Texas cold. It Texas wasn't cold, even that right? Cold. Not like cold like I know you've ridden through before. Like In Texas, yeah. Too. I was like, that motherfucker's the reels, yo. And, and Chris was like, oh yeah, the dead fucking guy rides everywhere, and I was like, right on. I mean, so I've th- ridden some places. I was about to say, I was about to say, no, but I would I would say it's just totally different, and you know. I've gotten, yeah, it's just different. Yeah. It's just different. And it's different for them, too. Like, there's a lot of news sure. and difference going on all at the same time. And they're uh, all trying They're trying to figure it out just as much while keeping you, hey, man, we're working on it, we're getting to it. And it's that thing of like, well, fuck, what's going on behind the scenes? Because I'd really like to know. <laughs> and, and here's the, I'm a lot more understanding than what they may believe. Right. I had to call back and apologize for my first phone call. Oh. That's how excited I was. Because there were some, some other things that happened with my buddy's bike, and I'm like, whoa, all right, that's where I draw the line. Like, my bike's one thing. You guys just fucked up Randall's bike? You're like, come on. And I, you know, and I was like, all right, I called him back the next day once I talked it through with some people, and they were like, yeah, you should be mad. And I'm like, well, but, you know, but I'm under, I know what's going on here. This right. is more than just, you know, a miscommunication or like, there's just a lot of stuff going on, a lot right. of moving parts. So, you know, it's, it, Definitely, if this was my only bike, right, it would be a different story. Right, you know, I got other things going on. I got plenty of shit to do. Right, other thing to focus on. Right, (coughs) if it was the only thing, you would probably just be pulling out your hair. Or I wouldn't be here right now. This is true. I wouldn't be. be, I'd be like, are you coming up anytime soon? Because right, I'm like hanging out with old Head (laughs) Chopper over here at the dealership, man. I need like, my stuff, yo. I'd, you know, I'd be going to Milwaukee. Like, exactly. All right, well, you know, how do we get this fixed? Like, what do we got to do? I to represent make this right? everybody else that bought one, and right. I'd like to know exactly. Yeah. How do we go about? I represent this? the masses. What are we doing? You know, and I know that I'm like even 
uh, the worst customer to deal with. Yeah. Because I'm like under, you know, like not like a spotlight, but or a microscope, but like, you sure. know, there's a little bit more eyes on yes. my situation. Yes. So, you know, I'm not asking for anything for free. I, no, you know, no, no, no. Just, I just want it right. Just want I it just right. want my bike and I want so it So right. you were green when I met you. That was IMS. I'm still green. Uh, <laughs> Whoa, speaking of green, dude, that thing's fucking bad. That that frame up there? Yeah, that dude, frame up there. Full on OG. 66. No way. Molded has not been changed since. And <clears throat> a friend of mine wanted me to take that, chop the neck, and rake it and do all that crazy stuff. And I was like, I'm no not doing way. it. I'm not doing it. I said, let so me did you build. Just buy it from him? No, no, no. It's up there because I'm I'm holding yeah. on to it because I want I want him to let me build okay. that frame into a bike. I want to put a pan head in. Is this what you're starting on in January? That's the one. Yeah, that's, ah, a, that's, that's the sick, other one. Dude. That's the other one. So amongst the other three, but I'm like, dude, I can't cut that up. Do you know no. how beautiful this no. is, man? And Do you it, have a tank? Uh, he has a tank. He's got an old peanut. But that, it's not with the... that it's no, but I don't want to. I don't want to cover any of that up. So I want to figure out a way. And dude, it's so old school that the only thing that they had mounting a tank on it that had a front and a rear tab is a quarter twenty bolt. That's it. Exactly. So my idea is to leave it exactly the way that it is. Well, so where did it come from? Florida. It's a Florida. Yeah. Bike. Yeah. Do you know anybody? Any other history? No, other than it belonged to his uncle. And his uncle rode it around in the 60s. Is there pictures of like that? that. I, he's looking for some because I'd love to try to yeah. find yeah, yeah. that exact look. And see with the frame and, and see the tank yeah. on it. And dude, it's all Bondoed, like the way Mondo and all the forefathers did it. That frame weighs about 160 pounds. Oh my it's God. so fucking heavy because the rear axle plates, that big. That's uh, a lot. Dude. Look at look at it. Look at it, dude. It's and it's all old Bondo, and I know what's under there. It's all stick welded, so it's just or this. Braised. Or I wouldn't. I don't know, but I can tell you whatever it is, it's heavy. Yeah. <laughs> and and I sent I sent a, I sent that to uh, uh, to Paul Cox, and he was like, dude, that That's is sick. awesome. So. He wanted me to cut it up. I'm like, I'm not doing it. No, I'm not no, going to no. cut your... I'm not, I can't. That's just sacrilege beyond belief. So, hopefully... Well, he's lucky to have you around. Well, I mean, dude, and it's green metal flake. I know. And, 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 like, the pinstriping on it is so... Like, when I look at that, I imagine, like, Sugar Bear and Mondo and all those guys rolling around. And, you know, Hernandez with, you know, like, a little tight little springer with just death trap beyond belief. You know, drum break. Yeah. Fucking rad, you know? So hopefully, hopefully he can secure me to the motor um, that I want to put in it and just build it up. I nice got a guy. Oh, really? I got a guy. Well, he does motors. Right on, right on. <laughs> so hopefully, you know, hopefully, hopefully he'll, he'll, he'll green light me in January and go, yeah, just let's just go for it. Cause, yeah. but we'll see. But yeah, uh, uh, until then, it sits right there. That's why I didn't want it down here. Yeah. Cause I don't want to get in scratch. Give it or, back to him if he's going to pay somebody else to cut it up. Totally. If he's going to cut it up, I'll be like, dude, let's yeah, just yeah, sell I'll it. I'll do that. Me. I'll do it. Yeah. Give me, it's on the list. Yeah. I'm getting to it. I'll, I'll get it. January, yeah. maybe not 22, maybe 29. <laughs> So hopefully, you know, hopefully he'll let me do what I want to. So IMS Dallas, yeah, 
was that before? Was that the same year that you were in the Galveston show? That Chris had me judge? Was the beginning of me knowing I never wanted to judge another show? Amen. Uh, that was. That was the same year, wasn't it? I, I know. IMS, I believe, where I met you was was eighteen. And oh no, it was. Yeah, because that that, that was the first in motion show. Yeah, so that's where we. That met. was the first in motion show. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I want to say it was either eighteen or seven. It couldn't have been seventeen because I'd literally just left the band, and that wasn't happening. It was eighteen. The band. The, well, no, the IMS. Right. So you I, went from fucking playing at Buck Cherry to being a builder at IMS. Yeah. I mean, you were greed. I know you I didn't I have don't even, dude, time. I don't even think I would consider myself. I, I still don't consider myself a builder. And I think what I did was... Well, now you're just being, I mean... we. Now I'm in it. Yeah, you're now, building bikes. Because it, it, in the beginning, when I left the band, I formally left the band in March of 17 on the 3rd, which is when I posted something on so Twitter. So I saw you at the Buffalo Chip back in like 2013. Yep, because we played there seven, eight years in a row. And I eight never years. left the grounds, not once. I'd never seen, <laughs> I'd never seen Sturgis, Dan. Yeah. I literally saw the stage, the bus, the catering, the, the show. And then there's a lot there. Like there's a lot. I didn't there. know that there was anything else. Yeah, I, I didn't, didn't either. I didn't know that there was I, like. A I had downtown. never left the grounds, and then the first time I did leave the grounds, I was like, "Oh, there's a whole other world besides the zip line and you know hot leathers tent and all this other stuff." And then we went out and went down and went to the T right there. Was to that with the band, or was that like? No, after? it was just me. Oh, just man. me and a buddy of mine. It was like, and that was on like I think the eighth year. So that did we you played. skip a year, or did you go from? Playing at Sturgis to showing up with a bike at Sturgis. I did not skip a year. Damn. I literally, like I said, I left in March of 17 on the 3rd. I made my first formal post. I immediately flew from L.A. to Daytona and did the Sons of Speed and did Bike Week. And then I hit every rally during Okay, 17. so there's some, there's some history of motorcycles oh, before this. way, dude, way, way. That, that. that is my dad. That's my first motorcycle. That's is that an Elsinore? That's a MR50, yes. Oh my it's a little gosh. MR50. That's my father's one longer SX250 HD AMF. Yeah, that's bad. My old man came home with a trailer one spring day with his bike, my MR50, and my brother's Elsinore 125. Where did you grow up? San Antonio. Really? So mm -hmm. you this is Texas. This, I'm this I'm as, know, I I'm as Texas that. as you're going to get, yeah, you know. San Antonio? Yeah. You're almost Mexican. I am very much. <laughs> I'm my my band guys used to say you're the you're the whitest brown guy I've ever met. And I'm like, well, you know, whatever. So I've been into bikes since I was 6. Dude, I, I got that when I was 6. Your, your accent, the way you talk doesn't Yeah. It, yeah. Where did that come from? Did you move around? Oh, like yeah, yeah, yeah. I think at age 10, we moved to, well, let me put it this way. From the age of 10 till my summer year before my, yeah, the summer before my junior year in high school, I moved around every year because my father was worked for General Motors all over the country. Okay. Baton Rouge, um, McAllen, Beaumont, um, so in the south. All, yeah, all pretty much the south. Never got to the east coast, never got too far to the west. But Never went up midwest? Never. All, but moved around a lot because my father was in, you know, worked for General Motors. Mm -hmm. And so I had... What did he do for General Motors? He was a parts and inventory control manager. As a matter of fact, that's like his tag right there. Running warehouses. And, everything. So yeah. he, he was literally the wolf. 
the wolf. You call him he was, when there's something going that, on. Right. You got to go to Beaumont. He was they the got wolf, a man. That's what they, they, and dude, it was so, he was so good at it that my mother would come and pick me up at lunch period and go, Stop. we're moving. No Literally. Shit. Like right now. <laughs> The van well, is packed. Well, when he was doing it, they didn't have like the shit on computers. Oh no, dude! You know? No, like, they had it on paper. He had to go. And if somebody fucked up some paperwork. They called him. He had him. to go in and literally take a look at this gigantic thirty-five thousand square foot warehouse and go, "Okay, we are counting every one of oh, these bins." Oh my gosh! And the only thing they had, dude, back then was remember was a very bad raw version of Microfish. So. He would literally go Micro in, fish. yeah, those little plastic things that you would put under a tray, looks like a microscope, and it would come up on a screen, and you could actually see little numbers. It was super, super, super teeny. It's it, like a, like one of those fucking things you use in the classroom, like a exactly like a projector. Projector, right? So okay. you'd literally, it, it was a piece of square like that, and you couldn't see anything because everything was so small. When you put it in the tray and you roll it forward it magnifies on the screen so you could see where the parts were. So that's what he did. He'd go in and clean up shop and they'd fucking pay him a ton of money and I'd be there for a year, year and a half and they'd be like, okay, now we're moving to Louisiana. Now we're moving to Beaumont. You know, so it sucked as a kid because when, now, you know, as as older, when people would go, yeah, I've known Johnny since we were in the second grade. I'm like, I don't, I don't even know where I was at in the second or third. You know what I'm saying? So I never grew up. Johnny, what the fuck's your name? <laughs> what do you mean? Oh, yeah. Yeah, so literally when the band thing happened, Hold it on, was. Hold no, on, what's your name? Who, me? Yeah, yeah. I'm Xavier. Okay, I think, well, who's Johnny's your dad. No, no, no. Johnny, when people would say, I've known Johnny oh, since we were in the second okay, grade together, okay. when people were late gotcha. growing like, up with something. No, no, no. I'm no. like, I don't know what's going on. No, anymore. no, literally. Okay. No, literally. I. <laughs> I don't know a lot of those people that, that go, you know, I grew up with that guy. And no, I'm, I'm familiar with that. I it's have like, no oh, idea. Oh, you remember that quote from the movie? You saw the movie, right? Like, well, yeah, but I don't care. Right, exactly. So, you know, and then getting into the band, it was easy to not. So that's what you and him did? Was ride motorcycles? That's all we did. Me and my brother, we actually went from Honda to Kawasaki, and I was a semi-works rider. For Kawasaki, and oh, so was my brother. Come on. And then when our when our like rides gave out, because we moved so much, we, you know, right around that time is the motocross thing started. Because we never went on vacations like family goes on vacation. Oh, we'll load up the van. We're going to go to the you know to to the Grand Canyon. We didn't do that. We went all around the you know the su- the south and did motocross races. That's what we did as a family. Oh shit! What league or racing series was it? <sighs> My brother, well, my brother used to race with Howerton, Marty Smith, and all those guys at Bear County and Sayers in San Antonio. Okay. So I don't know what he was actually with. I was like in a mini, mini, mini league before they even had a name for it. It was just seven or eight guys that had yeah, little like, 50s. Of, hey, we brought our kids, <clears throat> you know. My put, yeah, brother's exactly. Here, throw them out my there. little brother's over here. Let him race the, the mini yeah, flats. Let him ride the track. You let him ride you the track. Trophy. You know, dude, and there was no, I had like a helmet. And tennis shoes and like a little like kind of denim jacket. There was nothing like what the guys have now. It's well, funny when I send my kids out there now. I like see all the other kids and I'm like, well, at least I got them to put on shoes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and now you know it's it's crazy, but that's what we did. And right around the time that the motocross thing started to phase out because we lost our ride because we moved around so much, 
music happened. When you say ride, like your sponsorship? Yeah, or? we had like, I mean, they would give us like sprockets and chains and, yeah, yeah. you know. The if, stuff if, that adds up when yeah, you're fucking that, trying to Rims, because I was always bending rims. I was running into shit. You know, I was, I was the kid that on a 50 was trying to keep up with all the cats on those those badass XR75s. Yeah, yeah. And just like like wide open. And that little fucker, I figured out how to remove the governor on the throttle. It had a three pin station Allen head where when you removed it, you could make the throttle go. So my oh. father always had it set at minimum. And then I watched him one day and I found the tool and I got the throttle to where I could go wide open and because it, it was a three speed. Yeah. So I never had one of those mini bikes that was like a Briggs and Stratton. I literally started on a shifting front with a brake clutch? with a clutch. And I remember doing that first little throttle thing and dude, I was so excited. And we used to keep those in a shed wrapped in a chain. And the only time I could ride was if my father was there or if my brother was present. And one day, I picked the lock, got the bikes free, Sick. removed the collar so that I could have wide open throttle, took it across the street to the baseball park, which is where we used to ride, and I had never had so much fun. I was just, ah, yeah, yeah. And then these assholes were holding me back. Holding me the back, whole and time. then literally right into the wall. Bam! And of course, I put the bike back. My father comes home. He sees the chain moved. He touches the motor. It's warm. Oh, yeah. And that was it. And I was, I, they took the bike away from me for a little while. <laughs> Just you know, a little while. Just a little while. I think yeah. like a week. Like a week. Oh, yeah. And our, that backyard, dude, you can't see it, but that bike backyard was so huge. My brother and I used to race in the backyard. Oh, wow. This far corner, we had created a berm. So we against go against Yep, right against the fence. And so every time we'd hit hit it, the fence would go. Rrr, oh yeah. Rrr, you know, but that's where it all started, dude. So like, when a lot of people that don't know me and don't know the history go, oh, so let me get this straight. You so you were a rock star, right? And then you just decided to be a bike builder. Now you're a bike builder. The truth is, before I went to L.A. for the third time and became the guy in that band. I was working at a custom shop here. I had already been working at Harley shops for four or five years mm -hmm. and was already into motorcycles. I had already built my first chopper. I had already done that thing. When did you, when did you start playing music? Did you start playing Like school? music took over at, at about 12. Yeah. Like it literally took over, oh, I say, no, 11. And here's how. I, my parents dropped me off at the Beaumont Civic Center in front with a $20 bill to go see Kiss with Sammy Hagar opening up. And that's this was this this was 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 Kiss that's with Eric it. Carr, with Ace Frehley in the Creatures of the Night tour. And I walked in. What I, year is this? This is, fuck, bro. This is probably 83. Okay. Walked in, bought a jersey that I still have that's about this big, a Pepsi and a hot dog. Watch the show, and Eric's kit comes out on that tank. And the nozzle goes up and goes, and he starts playing I Love It Loud. And I just went, got done. My parents picked me up at 11 o'clock. I'm 11. They dropped me off by myself. You can't do that shit anymore, bro. And I gave my dad $3 back. I said, here you go. And I had a jersey. And that was it. I was hooked. Come to find out my you gave mother. Your parents back change? Change. <laughs> Cause I didn't want to be, I did not want to not be able to go to another oh, show, yeah, you know. But yeah. who drops? Nobody drops their kids off at eleven I don't know. to go I mean, see my a rock kid's concert. Eight, and I'm already thinking about like the 
possibility. We're getting close to doing stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it might not be the smartest, but movie. it but it was a different time. Back it was then. definitely and different, literally yeah. when I heard that. That and I was, dude. I was standing on the chair because I couldn't see. I was on general admission. That's so fucking rad. Where, and, I, and where was it at? What's Beaumont, Texas. Beaumont Texas. at the Beaumont Civic Center. Okay. And I think, I think that place may have held eight thousand. I bet it was a rowdy fucking crowd. Though. Oh, dude, they Beaumont, were out of their dude. fucking minds, dude. There was pot everywhere. People were drinking Jack. It was, it was a rock show where there was no limitations. In Beaumont, Texas. In Beaumont, Bormont is what I call it. Yeah. But. That's where my love of music really, the seed was planted. Mm-hmm. You know, come to find out my mom was a drummer in high school. Get the fuck out oh, of here. Oh, full on. And we'd been t- toting this snare drum around like a forever. Snare drum? A snare drum, yeah. That she, because she was a drummer, so she played in the core. And I remember seeing it. We'd move it and move it, move it. And then one day I opened it up and I was like, wow, this is kind of cool. It had sticks in it and everything. I just pulled it out. It was like, ka, 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 ka. And I think that's where the drums really took over. Yeah. And then, you know, what really changed it was when I saw years later, not too much longer, but I saw Tommy Lee at mm-hmm. the Shout at the Devil on the Looks at Kill video. Damn. And I went, that's it. So, but did you play in school? No. You didn't play school? No. I've never taken a formal lesson in my life. Come on. Never. I mean, I sat with one guy who went, this is how you go like this, and I wasn't that guy. I, and same with like the motorcycles. I didn't go through all the proper channels to get to that. I literally sat down, and I kid you not, Dan, I had a kick, I had a, 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 a drum set, <laughs> my parents' gigantic fucking console system, a record, curly headphones, and would play. And every time I hit the kick drum too hard, the needle would skip, so I had to go back. So I learned how to play without so, Dynamics, just being aware of your being aware, and, and everything it. that I messed up was how I learned how to play, like a fill that I never could understand. Like, how did he do that? Like, how did he? And I would, I would stumble upon it by accident, and that's how I learned everything. Like, literally everything that I've learned about drumming was about that. And I never learned rudiments, which to this day I regret. Come on, dude, you don't never. Know flams and paradiddles, Par- paradiddles, rattamacues, double flams, drag rolls. Now. I tell myself one of these days I'm gonna go back Let's and get that rudimental cookbook. Dude, uh, yeah, and I have it. There, I, you see there. my pad. Yeah. Every once in a while, when I get frustrated with something in here, I'll throw on like some cool spa or classical music just to calm my brain, and I'll just sit there and you know just to like free my brain from what's blocking me from making yeah. that happen. And it usually works. I kind of just go, oh, yeah. I can imagine letting some stuff flow out that you're yeah. comfortable with. You don't yeah. have to think about. I'm not thinking. Again. Yeah, exactly. And that's literally when the music took over. And my mother bought me my first snare drum. I'll never forget it. It's called a Remo PTS series. It was a pre-tuned system, meaning the hoop went over the head, but it didn't have lugs with with uh, screws to mm-hmm. tension it down. It had hooks. And it just clicked into place. Clicked into place. The worst design ever for a drum set. I mean, or if, if it worked, it, it worked. Been awesome. It worked. The problem is, is when the head started to wear in, yeah. you couldn't tighten it up. Yeah, yeah. So that's how they got you to keep buying heads. But <clears throat> I remember and I the had head, the, the snare was <clears throat> built by Remo. Totally. Yeah, they were like exactly. <laughs> it's like Harley going. I'm going to create this new thing, but we're going to get yeah. together with Jim so they can make I the put tools. Two so the cams in there and a plastic. Yes, and a plate yeah. and all that. And I had that snare drum. And I used to sit in my brother's room 
when CDs first came out and just by myself with that thing in my crotch, air drumming to You Got Another Thing Coming by Priest. And all my entire family heard was, ka, ka, ka. pillows or something? No, just a snare drum. I would air drum like this. Oh, you just air drum just, out like, the everything else? All you'd hear is, da. And I, you know, I, I remember seeing a drum set that I wanted so bad. It was a... What's it, funny that your mom <clears throat> was a drummer. But didn't have you go through those same channels. Well, she wanted me to. She was oh, like, she you did. need to learn your rudiments and all. And I was like, yeah, okay. You don't know what I didn't care. About, like, I don't want to do that. I wanted, you don't play Kiss. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I didn't want to learn rudiments. I wanted to learn how to go, you know, play Red Hot. That's all I wanted to do. And, of course, you know, looking back at it now, I should have learned, you know. But it's one of those things where everything else that I've ever learned... Maybe you shouldn't have, but you, you would have appreciated knowing. Totally, yeah. totally. At least and, having that in your back pocket. Right, and now when I look at, like, I look at drummers, younger drummers or guys that I, I look at now in a completely different way. Like, I never liked Dave Weckl and Vinnie Calayuda and all oh, those. Dude. I just, eh, all there's, guys. they're so like, eh. And now... You could appreciate the shit Oh, my out of God. Them. And then a whole slew of different drumming what's stuff. The old, what's the old dude's name? The, the Steve Gadd? No, not Steve Gadd. The dude, the fast guy. Buddy Rich. Buddy Rich. Yeah. Those oh, videos yeah. just drive me fucking insane, Insane. Cause insane, there's Because I would look at that and go, there's absolutely no way I'm ever going to be that good, so I'm going to stick to this over here. Cameras didn't even work good enough back then. Like no. The videos of him, you're just no. like... Dude, no. when you're Buddy Rich and you're on the Muppet Show and he plays the auditorium, literally, they, the camera's following him and he's playing on the on the wood, then he's playing on the wall, then he's playing on the guardrails, and then he finally gets to the drum set and he looks over at Animal and they start playing. Dude, that's that's serious. You're on primetime network playing on a wall because you're Buddy Rich. And he, the way he did it, it was like... I don't know, like I smoke a cigarette. Yeah, it's flawless. Like, like it was it seamless. Was, like, there right. There's no thought put into it. Like, that's why I would always say, I'm never, I know I'm never going to be that good. So I'm going to do what I'm good at, which is. So you've never read music or nothing? <clears throat> nothing. Right. Anything, anything I've ever done was so literally. Surely Buck Sherry wasn't the first band. Oh, no. You just had, what's, what was the Texas roots? Like, you had to do something to Texas. Oh, yeah, dude. I think my first band in high school when I was a freshman was called Predator. Oh, sick. Oh, yeah. And I turned my, my, my second bedroom in our house into a jam room. You guys were cool fucking parents. Oh, dude, my parents were fucking dope. Like, way dope. Like, I would not be where I'm at, even with this or music, if it hadn't been for my friends. Looking back on my experience playing music, I, I had the same thing. I was yeah. the drummer. We've got to play at my place. And I think that that's, like, necessary for a young kid's band. Yeah. Is the drummer has got to have the coolest parents because there's no place. Nobody's just going to let the drummer yeah. practice. No. You know, and then... They end up, that's where the practices end up happening. Or and the guy with the PA or something. There were no electronic kits back when we were playing. Oh. Dude, if, if you had, I think the first electronic kit that came out was an STD Simmons kit. Oh, no, DS, DTS. And that thing was, back then, was $4,500. Who the fuck is going to buy their 12, 14, 16-year-old a $4,500 electric no, kit that goes, doo, doo, doo. No. you know, nobody. Bill Bruford was the only, and Neil Pruitt were the only two guys I who I won't even them. get my kids a drum. I'm like, I got a practice pad. We're yeah. right, left. We're yes. going to the rudimental cookbook. Yeah, before you even get a drum. I'm going to burn them out on drums. Like, they want to play, and I'm just like. 
Yeah. Maybe I just need to let him go. Just hey. That's. I mean, I mean it worked for X. Yeah, you know? I did right. I did. The, I did the channels that everybody else did. I had a you know band, and we were awful, and we thought we were going to make it, and we played at the. You know, we played at the high school one time in the choral room, and all I had was my little little drum set and a little PA system. We played a couple of covers, and I signed drumsticks for the first time, and I was like, that's Sick. it. Yeah. That's it. And all the girls were all the girls that thought I was a geek or not cool or whatever had now turned around and went, hey. And I'm mm -hmm. like, oh, mm -hmm. there's what they're talking about, mm -hmm. you know? And then after that, it was just, it was all... Yeah. I, I, I can't say. Did you finish high school, or did you go straight to no, California? No, no. I literally. That was the only. That was the only thing that my parents were were That's unmovable on. Yeah. Because you you know me at seventeen, I was like, I'm moving to fucking California. I'm gonna be a Hollywood rock star. And my dad was like, Yeah, no, that's not gonna happen. You're gonna finish school, and as soon as you finish school, if you want to move the next day, you can move. But they were very adamant about me finishing high school. Um, Good. So I literally finished high school, and then I waited till I turned 21. So I cut my teeth still in Austin for oh, a couple of years. Because moving out to L.A. at 17, 18, you can't really do anything. I mean, you not can get in a lot of not trouble. Unless you know somebody. Not unless you, and I knew no one. Yeah. No one. You know, so I waited till I was 21, moved out. So and did you just stick around Texas, or did you guys, yeah, did no, you no, guys no. travel? All, or all, all through Texas. And yeah. then... At 21, I was gone, man. I loaded up my little Chevy Cavalier wagon, five-speed, my drums, my clothes. I was gone. 20 and miles a gallon. <laughs> totally. Yeah. And no cell phones, calling my folks every every fuel stop with a quarter. I had a, I had a bucket of quarters. Hey, Dad, I'm all right. I, I literally mapped out my, my journey. What were you doing for work in Texas, like when you were playing around? What were the other bands? Like, surely... They had to be around the same time Pantera's starting to fucking get Exactly. I saw them at the back room when they still wore makeup. Yeah. And Vinnie Paul, <laughs> they God, did do Vinnie, that in the beginning, Vinnie didn't Paul, they? God rest his soul, was playing those Simmons drums. He wasn't even playing a real kid. No oh, way. Oh, yes, sir. Oh, that, yes, I'm sir. glad I never saw and that. And nobody knew who they were. This was right after Terry had left and they just got filled. And I was working. What was I doing? Oh, I worked at Bell's. I was a shoe salesman. Like, be like B Bell's e department. A yes, Bell's. <laughs> That's what I did, dude. Oh, I've never sold, been in there, nor uh, knew anybody. I sold that. shoes. Nice. Sold shoes during the day and wore makeup at night and played on 6th Street in San Antonio and Houston and trees in Dallas. Like and Al Bundy. Totally. That was me. Sick. And when my hair started to get really long, my boss, Kyle Park, again, one of the guys who in the beginning was like, you can do this. If you just keep your shit together, you can do this because you're really good. He said, I can't have you on the floor anymore with your hair. He said, so I go, well, I'm not going to cut my hair, Mr. Park. And he said, well, <laughs> let me see what I can. So they created a job for me. Upstairs. <laughs> so I could work wow. upstairs yeah. out of the view. And I would turn, I returned faulty merchandise. So Perfect. I sat up there with my cassette player, listening to Metallica and Motley and Megadeth, better. riding out stuff and putting it in packages and sending it off. That was my gig. So know? always, always metal music or rock and roll, like there oh, was always. And then it wasn't till years, 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 because I was such, a, I was so zoned in on on rock and metal. It wasn't till way into my my buck cherry years where i actually understood and wanted to go back to the roots the stones zeppelin 
Aerosmith. So you weren't even looking back at this point. Oh no, you were all. I was. It took me a while too before I started like really appreciating. Yeah. And then that. even then, after in way in well into my forties, I got way back into seventies music, mm-hmm. like the shit that I used to listen to riding in my father's little Corvair with the radio playing because my brother was listening to Ted Nugent on one side of the house. My parents were listening to Tito Puente and anything Latin on the other side of the house. And I was in the middle with both of those listening to FM radio, listening to disco, listening to all that stuff and going, this is crazy. So, and it wasn't until in my 40s, I understood that all of that stuff that I learned and I listened to had an effect on my playing. Because like it or not, disco music, Michael Jackson, all that stuff was done by real drummers with a real bass player. Mm-hmm. There was no machines. And it was created to do one thing. Yeah. So from that point of going, do, get, do, get, do, to now, it's the same thing. It's just a different sound. And I remember doing a, uh, an article or a, an interview for Modern Drummer, and the guy asked me, what's one of your biggest influences? I said, well, to be honest with you, 70s disco music. And he was like, what? And I said, yeah, I mean, I grew up with Motley and Ozzy and all that stuff and learned how to adapt rock drumming. But when you listen to the core of what those records were all about, it's all drums. The drums are the loudest thing in the mix. It's the only thing that makes you bop your head. You're not bopping your head to the ding, 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 ding. No, you're bopping your head to that kick and that snare drum. And having that as a bass. Dude. And letting it come out into rock and roll. And you can never go wrong with that, ever. You know, mm-hmm. bon- Bonham used to say that the blues were always about the backbeat and that feeling. Well, disco and Michael Jackson and, and Saturday Night Fever, dude was all about drums, Mm -hmm. nothing but. So it makes sense whether you like the music or not. And even to this day, when I go back to rehearse stuff that I just want to play, I never play rock music. I always go back and I play some... I was listening to it just now when you walked in, the 70s Mm -hmm. station where all of those songs (coughs) were about melody and grooves because they were musicians. They were The bass player and the drummer were in a room looking at each other going, yeah, Mm -hmm. this is it. Here comes that part. Here comes that. It wasn't, okay, the drum tracks and then the bass lays over the drums and the guitars lay, you know, it was a room of people, you know, and that was, that was brilliant to me and it's gone. It's never going to be like that. You were like the last, you were part of that last wave of like, record contracts yeah I mean, you went out <clears throat> so how was that transition going from texas music to california because i'm sure that it was totally fucking different i mean it was frightening communication is a little brings us together yep. it makes everything a little smaller now but yep. back then no internet like nothing they're doing it one way over there and they're doing it a different way in texas here especially with awesome being in 60 yeah like they've got a good musical foundation but that same system didn't work it did not did because, you go to LA or? because it wasn't about the community there as it was here. There, it was about the popularity. That's right. Can and, we sell it? Can we make money out right. of this? And, and if you can get into the popular circle, then you meet the people that might be able to help you find that perfect gig or that perfect situation or whatever. But until that happened, you were an outsider. You know, the strip, I was really fortunate enough because the strip, as we know it, had not died at that time. 
that was still a what very... What did you go out there? 89, oh, 88. Man. So it was 88, 89. It was literally... music that you... Right. All those guys had already done all their thing. Motley, Rat, Dawkins, GNR. That strip was still very much alive, but it was starting to decline. It was starting to make a different downfall. So the fact that I got to go out there and play before Buck Cherry, I got to go out and be in bands before like... Before Nirvana killed it all. Way before. Like, you know, because that was really like, that yeah. just shifted everything. Dude, it killed everything. Whether you want to call it hair metal or strip metal or whatever it was, I mean, that sound that came from the west, from that other part of the West Coast was so... That's cool that you got to be there before that, though. Yeah, I dude, mean, I, I mean... That I, was, I had to go back to catch all that. Yeah. Like the, my musical history of, like, you know, growing up, it was like, came in at that time with, like, Fucking Weezer and yeah. Nirvana, the and Spin Doctors. Right, like and it was, sitting. It, it was, I didn't, you know, I wasn't listening to, yeah, to the yeah. hair metal. I missed it. And as a kid from Round Rock, literally sitting on the stage at Gazzari's, yeah. or the Viper Room, or the Roxy, or the Whiskey, which is where Tommy sat, and Alex Van Halen, and the Doors, and all of those bands that I had seen on TV, and I'm literally right here going, I'm literally playing in a band with material that I helped write on the same fucking drum riser as the guy that made me want to play drums. And when I met Tommy for the first time, I told him that. We were on tour in Japan together, and I said, hey man, I need about... Six minutes of your time. He's like, yeah, bro, whatever. What, what do you need, man? What, what can I help you with? And I said, do you remember when you did that interview and you got to tell Ozzy for the first time that he was the reason why you played rock and roll? He goes, yeah, dude, I remember that like it was yesterday and it's true. And I go, well, I'm telling you that now. You are the fucking reason why I play drums and why I'm playing on a stage tonight before you. So thank you. And he was like, holy Fuck. And I brought him a stack of stuff that I had collected over the years that a lot of people didn't have. He was in a band called Sweet 19, S-U-I-T-E, in Hollywood with a guy named Greg Mason. When Tommy left to go join Motley or start Motley, Greg Mason left and moved to Austin. I played in Sweet 19 with Greg Mason. What the And I had a fuck? ticket stub. I had a sticker. I bet he was tripping he the was fuck out. He was fucking losing his mind. He was like, dude, where did you come from? I said, Round Rock, Texas. So there was that weird thing of like, I hadn't arrived in my brain yet, but I was following something that decades you, you, before. You tapped in. I tapped you in. You tapped in. I mean, you know, you know, these people, this isn't something that, yeah, you you tap into this thing. Yeah. And yeah. I literally was there, and I remember the first time we, we played with Motley in Tokyo, and I remember looking out at the stage for a hot second and going, what the fuck is happening? Like, what is happening right now? <laughs> like, literally. But, I mean, how fast did that happen? I mean, that was still, you were out there in California. Well, you that, were didn't, it for that didn't happen for the till the third time because I came back two other times from LA with my tail between my legs because I got all fucking whacked out on dope, and fucking hookers and and strippers and in all California this all that this happened? yeah all that shit that you're supposed to do and you know when you're an up and coming rock you know aspiring musician yeah 
I mean, that's how they make behind the music. That's how all that you shit know? starts, dude. They, it's like they got you got to have a story, and yeah. that was my story. And yeah. literally the third time, when I came back the second time, and I was like, I am done with fucking music. I'm over it. I don't want to do anything. I went right back into motorcycles, literally, and that's where I started. So you went to California tries trying to make trying to make the dream go. First time failed. Just got wrapped second, up with the drugs. Second time failed. Come back. Second time. How were your parents? Were they like, you know? No, they were very accommodating. They were yeah. very like, we understand, but I don't think they understood the. Were you extent. able to shut the drugs off when you oh, came no, back to Texas? No. Yeah, no, yeah, no, no, not at all. I, I wasn't able to. It became more of a party thing than it was like out there, like using the way that I was, and then when I got into the bikes again and I got back into the the bike community. It escalated. All that stuff escalated because now I was at a shop. I was building. I wasn't building bikes then the way that I was now. I was running the shop. I was the face of the shop. I did all the ordering. I talked to the customers. The owners were a father and son team, damn near exactly like the Tuttles before the Who Tuttles came. Who is this? Out. It was a company called Voodoo Customs, and um, we had a bunch of. We built a, a bunch of nice bikes for the ninety series through the two thousand. Yeah, no, I remember this and. So I didn't mess with music at all. I was done, Dan. I was like, I don't want to, I don't want to, I'm over it. I was having dinner at Baby Acapulco's on I-35 with a friend of mine one night. We were having some, some drinks. And this guy walks by me. He's got this long blonde hair and he's, you know, got that rock outfit and he's handing out books and pencils with little pieces of paper. And he's a karaoke dude. And he's got a karaoke system on the stage. It's like, hey man, do you want to sing? I'm like, no, I'm cool, man. I think I, I really appreciate it. He goes, well, if you change your mind, here you go. We're starting our dinner, having our margaritas, and he goes, hey, my name's Robert. I'm going to get up. I'm going to start the evening. Welcome. Thanks for coming out. Start off with a little Zeppelin. And I'm like, oh, fuck. Here we go. This guy's just going to suck fucking balls, man. Dude. And he goes, hey, mama said the way you move. And I, went, and I literally put my fork down, and I turned around, and I looked at him, and I looked at the girl I was having dinner with, and I go, I'm back in the game. And I literally, that night, started a band with him the next day, and we did the entire circuit. Played Austin, San Antonio, Dallas, and it was awesome. <laughs> and I was, I, from, and a I was it, from a karaoke. How long was your break? I mean, it had to have been a while if you were running it was this probab- shop. It was probably about a year. It was okay. about a year. And then we were full bore, man. We moved into a house together. We built a stage in the living room. We had lights. We had a PA. We used to have rehearsals on Thursday night. It was an open rehearsal. But you couldn't come to the house if you didn't if you didn't have an 18-pack of Bud Light or a bottle of Crown Royal. That was the entrance. And we had two huge guys at the, both doors. You can come in. So it was a rehearsal, but it was a party. Mm-hmm. And then the party never ended. It mm-hmm. kept going. I'm familiar with yeah, that Yeah, you know that. I know that And one. one day I was driving home from work. Ours was a 30 stone. Yeah, exactly. Bring yeah, stone. bring it on the 30 stone. And before that, before I had moved back the second time, I had met Keith Nelson at the Guitar Center in Hollywood because that's where we worked together. He was in guitars, I was in drums. He went on to form Buck Cherry with Josh Todd. And I remember him calling me one day and going, hey man, I really want you to come back out and I want you to be the drummer in this band because we lived together. We had an apartment, but we never played music because we were so fucked up all the time. I would just sit around and play Black Crows tunes all day. I never messed with my drums. Yeah, my drums were downstairs in the stairwell. Never touched them. And... He called me and I went, no way, dude. I'm not moving back out to LA. I'm, I'll die if I move back. I got out this to LA. karaoke singer. We got something going exactly. on. Exactly. I'm working at a Harley shop. Fuck rock and roll. And literally, I'm working one day on a transmission. 
the guy from 101X, I can't remember what his name is, um, Toby. Hey, this is Toby 101X. I'm going to bring you a, a new track by a band called Buck Cherry out of Southern California. And it was lit up. And I didn't know that they were called Buck Cherry. And I heard the first riff, Anna, 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 and I went, that's fucking Keith. That's fucking Keith. Because Keith had always wanted to write music in open G the way the Stones did. But it wasn't accepted because it wasn't hair metal and cool. And I was like, fuck, he did it. What year was this? I mean, that was like... This was 98. Was it that early? That early. Because okay. they did the first record in 98, 99. And I remember hearing it and... Sure enough, a couple of months later, he calls me up at the shop, and he's like, hey, man, I'm going to be in town. We're playing Stubbs. You want to come? I'm like, fuck yeah. So me and a bunch of buddies rode down there, and you know, and that was the foundation of how I went from Voodoo and Austin after they broke up in 2002. I was getting ready to move out again in 2004 because I was like, I'm moving out to L.A. I'm older. I'm wiser. I'm going to give this one last shot, and then I'm going to put it to fucking bed, and I'm done. I'm not going to look for the rock stardom anymore. I'll play at a, at a local gig on the weekends, build motorcycles, get some chick pregnant, have kids. I'll be good. And sure the fuck enough, man, one day he calls me. He's like, hey, man, um, you know any tour managers? And I go, no, Keith, I don't know any tour managers. You're a fucking touring musician. Why are you calling me? I can get you a five-speed. Right, I get you a six-speed. Dude, I got this RevTech, you yeah. know. And... He said, because we're looking for a tour manager, Josh and I are putting the band back together and we want to go back out on tour. I go, well, fuck, dude, I don't know anything about it, but if you trust me, I, I can learn. And he goes, no, man, I'm just kidding. He goes, I want you to come out and audition. And I said, well, that's funny because I was already planning on coming out. So he sent me the list. I learned all the songs. Now, remember, I, w I was already a fan from the first two records. So I moved out. My, my ex-girlfriend and I at that time moved into his apartment. We rented his bedroom. He slept on the couch. I got a job at Glendale HD running parts back and forth and rehearsing at night. But there was never any indication of like, oh, this is good. We're going to get a record label. Because at that point in time, nobody wanted to sign rock and roll anymore. You had to be emo, and you had to have your hair to the side, and you had mm -hmm. to have a certain look. Because rock was dead, well, dude. Brooke Cherry was like the beginning of like... <clears throat> Oh, the fucking, there was like a different genre of, I mean, not different, but like uh, the 70s rock and roll yes. started coming back with like the strokes yes. or like that. Yeah, that sound, That's, that feel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And nobody would sign us. So I was I was eating my bologna sandwiches. So they had rehearsal. lit up on the radio, but they didn't have a deal? Well, no, that they had lit up and they had um, slamming from the first two records and then they lost their deal. So they broke up in 2002. Okay. Because it just wasn't working anymore. And then Josh and Keith started talking again because one of the, one I think it was Keith's dad passed away. So Josh reached out to Keith um, and that started the whole process. But there was, nobody would, nobody would sniff us. We couldn't get managers to sign us. We couldn't get record labels to even come look at us because we were, first of all, we were in our 30s, which is old. And we were heavily tattooed, which is way before tattooing became popular, you know. And so I was working at night. I mean, I was working during the day at Glendale Harley and then rehearsing at night, Monday through Friday. And then we had the weekends off because both of the other guys had kids. So there was never a guarantee that it was going to work. I just knew 
that those two guys were so fucking singularly focused on making it that if I just kept my shit together and stayed in the back, played drums, I might just have did your it. job. Let did my deal job. with all the fucking circus right. works. All the bullshit, because I didn't know what I was doing anyways. I had never done that. They had already yeah. navigated you two record deals. came out there to do drugs the past couple Dude, times. Dude, yes. <laughs> I was out there to just get laid, party, and now, you know, my girlfriend at the time was like, what are you doing? You know, you used to bitch and moan when we were back home, when you were booking and managing and doing the accounting for the band. She goes, now you have two guys that know what they're doing. Just shut up and play drums. And I was like, she said, because obviously you're good enough. They really like you. And we went for about a month just rehearsing songs and trying to write together and trying to get that band vibe. And then one day they came in and they sat down on the couch and they were like, all right, if you want to be in this band, show up tomorrow with rehearsal room rent and let's do this. And it was on, dude. It was like, I can never, I can never remember any other point in time other than doing what I'm doing right now that I was so like, failure was not an option. It was whatever needed to be done. Whatever it took, and it went from. I mean, were you? Ex was there an expected outcome? Were you like? No, we're, we're doing something amazing here. Like, I weren't even looking for the recognition. It was like we're gonna. No, let's there just was do this. never an idea of like, oh, we're gonna sell four million records and we're gonna tour the world. No, dude, it was literally. I just don't want to fuck this up, because these are professionals that I'm dealing with. This was a completely different caliber of musician that I had ever worked with, as far as writing what was expected of you, shutting your mouth, knowing when to open your mouth, and learning the process of being in a real functioning band. Um, all the other stuff that I did, not that it wasn't real, was cool, but it, it, that was only a, a preparation and a stepping stone for sitting in a room with professionals going, you can do it that way and still play the pubs, or you can do it this way and we can be playing to 20,000 people every single fucking night. And I'm like, okay, well, teach me how I need to have the mindset to do that. Mm -hmm. And it was all just sitting back and shutting my mouth and listening and watching, more so watching than anything. And all of that stuff that I acquired during that time, all of my endorsements was all me calling the companies up going, hey, my name's Xavier Muriel. I'm the new drummer in the, in the recently formed Buck Cherry. I'd like to send you a packet. Are you interested? Yeah, sure, send it to me. And then one by one, I got all my endorsements. And as a drummer... How did you even know to do that? I didn't. My Our manager was just like, well, we don't do that. We're not going to find endorsements for you, so I don't really know what to tell you. And I'm like, well, fuck. If I can get somebody on the phone, I can sell myself. And that's literally what I did. And to this day, I still have every one of them. And when I left the band, I called them personally. And I said, hey, man, I'm not in the band anymore. I need you to hear it from me, not from social media and thank you so much for everything you've done for me. Because you think about a 17-year career playing the same cymbals, heads, drums, and sticks. That's a lot of fucking money, Dan. A lot. So literally, when you think about it that way, it's like somebody giving you 75, 80, 90 Gs. Here you go. Of, of product. And they were like, no, it's okay. We don't endorse the band. We endorse you. I'm like, oh, well, that's fucking rad. So I've been able to carry that stuff over. But again, those are the relationships and the friendships that I made that were built upon this. They weren't built upon a band or a record or it was one dude talking to another. And when there was issues, it'd be like, hey, man, that's not acceptable. I need to have that tomorrow because I can't do my job without it. 
and they're not going to look at you. They're going to look at me. When something goes wrong up front or with me, yeah, they don't... they're not going, hey, Pearl. No, right. You, you know, no, like, they go, why the fuck is hey, his... X! Yeah, X, your why, shit together. Why does your fucking China types keep falling and you're missing beats? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So that's literally how that happened, man. And we literally... We, I was working and doing a residency in L.A. We'd play Tuesday night at the Whiskey. Wednesday night in San Diego, Thursday night in Long Beach, and Friday night in Malibu. So I was playing all those nights and then working. And then I remember the first thing we ever had. What did you drive around back then? That same forerunner, homeboy. No fucking way. Yes, sir. No way. God damn. It's a Toyota commercial. I had, it is. I had had a, a, a Tahoe. Bitch in black Tahoe with a big five liter in it. You know, the, it was a suburban, the long one. Gray leather interior, black. It was fucking awesome. And I had it here. That's and a my Texas dad, vehicle. That right. ain't a California and my vehicle. Da- yeah, and my dad was like, that ain't happening. You'll go out and get broke your first six months in LA. He goes, I need to get you something different. I'm like, okay, dad, whatever you decide. He traded in the Tahoe, got that forerunner. Yeah, he worked at the GM. Right. He's- the night before I left. I didn't even drive that thing till I got to L.A. My old lady drove that while I had the U-Haul trailer and her car on a car transport. And I've got the same one. And it sat before the band took off in 06 and we toured forever. That thing sat in the driveway. I mean, that's a 2000 and it just now hit 187. Just now. Wow. So it was one of those things where, again, there was no guarantee, man. We were just, we were a gang. We were a gang as much as any MC was. We were a unified front. We went, went in with murder on our minds. We were cool and nice and, <laughs> yeah, hey, how you doing? But when it came to stage, dude, it was fucking war. And we carried that mentality all the way through till somewhere around 14, 15, when everything just started to, it just, it wasn't the same, you know? Um, and it literally went. But that's ten. That's over ten years. Yeah, I mean, we put out a record from '05 to '16 every single year, if not every other year, because we were out touring ten to ten to ten at no more than ten months out of each year, no less than eight. So every year we put out a record, we were gone for eight months, like just gone. Damn. Taking breaks at you know Christmas and thank maybe not even Thanksgiving because I remember a couple of Thanksgivings I spent in Europe. You know, but but Christmas for sure. Um, New Year's never, because that was the biggest paying gig. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was that thing of like literally, you know, Keith calling me that one day at work and going, hey man, I'm sorry, but you're going to have to quit your job. And I'm like, why? Sorry. Yeah. You're sorry? He's like, you're yeah, sorry he's like, that? I'm sorry. Because he knew I loved the Harley shop. I loved being there. He's okay, like, okay, okay, I'm really sense. sorry you're going to have to quit. And I go, why? He said, because we're going on tour. You know, I need you to, I need you in the studio for, for three weeks. And then once that record is done, we have enough money that we're going to pay you a salary to keep you alive. Nobody's going to go out and buy la- fucking Lamborghinis. It was just enough to keep everybody employed. So instead of going to work during the day at the Harley shop, I went to the studio and mm-hmm. I was there eight to 10 hours a day. And then, you know, we got an invitation to go play a thing in Japan called Summer Sonic. This was, this was our first major, major thing. It was, a, it, was a, it was a festival held two days in Saitama Super Arena, which is in Osaka, 
and then the Tokyo Dome. And it was a festival with Deep Purple, Nine Inch Nails, Slipknot, Black Crows. Fuck. Dude, it was huge. It was fucking like how they huge. slid Black Crows and then, into Yeah, that. and then Little Buck Cherry, you know. And I remember him going, we have to go there because we've been offered a deal by the Japanese <clears throat> companies because that saying, we're big in Japan, well, they were still very big in Japan. And I had no idea, dude, none. And I'm like, well, when do we leave? He said, well, we leave in three days. And I'm like, oh, fuck. So I had to tell my boss, hey, I've got to go to Japan and play this gig. Do I still have a job when I come back? And he let me go. And when we went and played this gig, and I remember flying over there, my first ever long flight on a 747 and flying over a typhoon and fucking like, we're going to die, but that's cool. Maybe our shit will sell, you know. And I remember looking at the stage, and it's a soccer stadium, so it holds 80,000 people. It's the, it's the, <laughs> it's the equivalent of, of Wembley Arena. I mean, Wembley Stadium, not Wembley Arena. And I remember we were in the dressing room, and the techs had set everything up. We didn't get to see the stage until showtime. They had done sound check. My tech comes back to me, and he's like, yeah, man, everything's good. Don't worry about it. You know, kick might have to go up a little because I'm not really sure. I'm like, all right. So we put on our ears and my pack and we're walking to the stage and I'm looking at the stage and all of these fucking people and there's this board that says time slots, you know, it says we're up in 15 minutes and I'm staring at it and I almost threw up, literally almost threw up, I kid you not. And I remember I look over at our manager and our manager, Katie McNeil, looked at me and went, and I sat down and Josh comes out, he starts with a slide, and it was on. And I, I remember I, ver I remember very little of it because I was so fucking freaked out. And then we finished the set, and we walked off stage, and then I threw up. <laughs> and I walked into the dressing room, and... What was the biggest gig before this? The fucking go-go or something? I mean... Opening up for Willie Nelson, maybe, here in Austin. That was it. That was the biggest gig. Like, that was the biggest gig at that time. Yeah. And I remember Ian Pace from, from Deep Purple walking over to me and going, it was a great set, mate. Slamming drums. And I was like, you know. And then here comes little Joey Jorson, God rest his soul, from Slipknot. And Corey and all the guys are walking over to do their set. And I, I just remember sitting in the dressing room while nobody was talking. Nobody was going, your great fucking set, dude. That was awesome. Hugs and kisses. And it was like another day. It was just business as usual. And it wasn't until we got back to the hotel and there was a thousand fans outside of the hotel waiting for us with dolls that they had made with all my tattoos and Whoa, crazy shit, dude, that they would stay dude. out there all night. I, and I mean all night because we had jet lag. I didn't know how to deal with flying to Japan. So it's four in the morning. I think it's two in the afternoon. And I'm just like, you know, and I walk out there and they're all bowing. They can't say Xavier, so they say Zebby. Oh, Zebby. They want to take pictures and you touch them and they start crying because they're not a personable people. They're, they, they don't do that like we do. And I remember sitting on, the uh, on a bench outside and the sun was coming up and I was, I was thinking, fuck, I'm here. Yeah. I'm fucking here. Even if this is it right now and I'm done, I'm here. Like, I am in Japan 
and I'm in Japan playing fucking drums. No, nobody told me it was going to be like this, you know? And then after that, then that's when all the nonsense starts to happen. What about the, I mean, how was the band, like, had they experienced that Oh, before? yeah, Josh and Keith had already done this. They'd okay, already so played Japan. They'd already played with so Kiss. you were and, kind of, like, experiencing this on your oh, own. Oh, yeah, me and Stevie. You're like, oh, well, that's cool. Me and Stevie yeah, no were the deal. only two. Josh and Keith had already done it. Jimmy had, had just came off tour with playing in, with Izzy Stradlin and the Juju Hounds. So those three guys had touring experience. They knew the rows. Me and Stevie were just like, <laughs> you know, and... It was bizarre, dude. And then literally from that point on the rest of it, it was that, that saying, and the rest is history. And it was just, it was lightning in a bottle, dude. I mean, we literally got the money from that festival, got a deal with Japan Universal, which is the record company. Because remember, nobody in the States would sign us at all. We took that money, went and made 15, which was the first record. And if you look on the record of 15, when you open it up, there's pictures of the band. That was done in Japan with a point-and-click camera against a white wall. Here you go. That's how much of a low-budget skeleton budget we had So did for you that get record. a deal from Universal, or that was just paid that, for the no, gig? No, that was a deal. Okay. We took that money, financed the record, and then the record got bought out by 11.7 which is the management company that and the record label that put, took us on after that. And okay. then that's when... They really put you to work. Literally. Because we had to pay for it. Yeah. They don't no, give no, you any money it. up front. The, once they get you in, they're like, hey, check this once out. Once you sign that check thing. Check this out. They go... Take this. Yeah. Because when we got that, they signed. We all got distributed enough money to carry us over till we started that proper tour. So that tour. was what? Eight? That, no, dude. That was six. Six. So, I mean, that literally is the tail end. Literally. Like, because what, Napster came in in, like, 01 mm -hmm. and just started yeah. fucking <laughs> changing fucking everything, everything. And nothing. I mean, it didn't, you can't say it fucked things up. It no, just, that was the it, beginning yeah, of the that change. Was, that was the beginning of the way everything went to a digital format and the way it was easily accessible as opposed to the days of going to a record store, getting a CD yeah. and an LP and opening it up and doing that whole thing that we're so accustomed to. But... That, when that record came out, when we made that record and it came out, the first single was actually everything, and it did nothing. It wasn't till, oh, the next single was supposed to be Crazy Bitch, and the record company wouldn't put it out. <laughs> imagine, imagine that. I mean. So what happened was... This was right in the inception of MySpace. Would they even put it out today? They, wouldn't even, no. they wouldn't even release no, it as they wouldn't a even, B-side. They wouldn't even like, release uh, it, period. They'd be like, no, you got to download it. I don't that know. That's, the, the shit that they release on yeah, music. Yeah, yeah. They, right. So MySpace was just now coming up. Okay. And okay. a DJ that was a huge fan on, in Chicago. Back took when crazy, DJs still had like yes, influence? when they still had influence and with the, when there was still program directors. Yeah, okay. So the DJ against the program director's better judgment took crazy bitch off the record replaced all the profanity with homer simpson and chewbacca come on and put come it on the myspace page on. and it blew up it crashed everything on the eastern seaboard then our myspace blew up and it crashed everything in california so there was a point 
where all the net service had crashed because everybody was trying to download Crazy Bitch at the same time. Come on. Cut to we make the video. We put the video out. It does very little. Very little. But the momentum that it had... But where did they get put out on? What is... I mean, was it... Oh, no, it was called Fuse. Remember, it was oh, Fuse. Remember that? Okay. And they only had Fuse 30 minutes a day on Friday. Okay. That's where you could get your rock and roll music because everything was hip-hop and country and... And just reality shows. Reality shows all day long. So the record comes out. People can actually buy it now. Then the downloadable ringtones comes oh, into play the next six... Gosh. What's the next quarter, which was... Were you guys involved in all that? No, no. It was all organic, dude. Go play. Well, I'm just saying like in the decision making. Of? Like making a ringtone or like putting it out on Fuse. No. That's just. Well, we weren't involved in it. We just thought it might be a good idea because you can't hear it on the radio. You can't hear it on. You can only hear it on on Sirius, but Sirius hadn't gotten serious yet. It was just an idea. Yeah. So what happened was everybody went to iTunes or whatever it was at that time, I think it was iTunes, to download Crazy Bitch's ringtone. And it crashed the entire system for 20 yeah, hours. Like, we gotta put, you guys probably fucking helped fuck up the music industry. We did. <laughs> we did. That's awesome. And I just the other day got a plaque that has four little 45s that are platinum for four million at that time downloaded ringtones of Crazy Bitch. And a, you and, got a platinum well, for ringtones? 15 just went double platinum a month ago. That record was released in six. It Damn. went platinum in nine. And then, so people are still buying that record. Not that I'm relating myself anything to like GNR or any of that, but GNR Appetite still sells a million records a year. To Dude, this day, Crazy Bitch is one of the anthems that's gonna like go down. It's gonna, it's one that takes you back to a place. Right. Me, it takes me back to stumbling around Sturgis, you know, like, so, just like, fuck, they're on right. stage, you know, right. like. So, like, when I hear Looks at Kill, it does the same thing to me as that does to you for the song that I was a part of that I left my home for mm-hmm. with an idea of like, I'm gonna fucking do this. I'm going to do it or I'm going to die. You fucking did it. So It's killer. Crazy. Cra- and like And you're here and you're and like I'm in your good shape? I mean, 53 and I'm I'm still here. Crazy, you know? So when I look at that, now that's not to say that between that point and my departure from the band, that wasn't a hell of a lot of fucking partying and having a good time and, and doing shit that I thought I was supposed to do because that's what Keith Richards, no, that is Tommy Lee, and that, Lemmy that did. That is what you're supposed yeah. to do. Yeah. Okay. So when you're sitting on a Learjet, a private Learjet, leaving Van Nuys Airport to go to Vegas to Mario Bar's tattoo opening, the grand opening, and myself, Josh Todd, Tommy Lee, Lemmy, God rest his soul. Billy Gibbons from ZZ Top. Matt Sorum, the drummer from GNR. And you're sitting next to Lemmy. And I had on all my rings at the time. And Billy Gibbons goes, hey, brother, let me see that ring. And I show him my ring. And he goes, yeah, you win the, you win the prize for the best ring on the plane today. And I'm like, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then Lemmy's like, would you like a drink, mate? And I look over and I go, uh, 
Oh my there's, god. This is a private plane, Lemmy. There's no service. He goes, service. Full bottle of Jack. <laughs> Pops it. Take a swig, give him it back. Puts it back under. We get to the opening. We do the red carpet. Hey, how you doing? Shake hands. Stand in there next to Lemmy. He goes, I fucking hate these things. And I go, yeah, me too. He goes, let's say you and I go to a secluded area. And I said, okay. So we went and found this fucking corner in the middle of this gigantic club with the fucking hottest bitches you've ever seen in your life dancing over there, titties falling out, everybody's having a good time. And Lemmy and I are sitting in the corner drinking whiskey together. And I thought to myself at that one moment, I was like, this is what it's, this is it. This is that moment. Cut to the next moment with Tommy Lee at my 40th birthday in Darien Lake, New York. That's all I have to say about that. <laughs> my point, my point, my point is that the feeling of that bench seat in Japan about, fuck, I'm here. Puking. Got diluted with all of the nonsense that I thought was supposed to happen. Lucky enough to be alive and then lucky enough to go back and respect it the way that I have. Because had it not been for all of that stuff, the shop that you're sitting in would not exist because of the fact that I've learned that, man, it's great. Fucking have a good time. But make sure you get to tomorrow mm -hmm. because that world is not real. Just like a lot of the people you've met and that I've met in this industry so far don't see things a certain way, the way other people see it a certain way. And I tend to gravitate to the people that look at this as not only a fun thing, because again, drumming or motorcycle, if it's not fun and I'm not having a good time, I am the fuck out. I've learned enough in my time on this earth that it's not worth it. I'll go to work at Home Depot, get a paycheck, go home, play with my dogs, wrench on a bike in my garage and be absolutely okay. But knowing the difference between that attitude and the attitude now is worth everything in the world. Because I can look back at that time in, my, in that band and go, fuck man, I did it. I did everything that I had been reading about as a kid, watching on MTV, going, fuck one of these days, fuck one of these days, fuck one of these days. And then it happened, and then I had that plane flight after the New York gig before Thanksgiving of 16 and went, it's time. That's it. It's time to do something else. This is no longer what it was. It's changed. There was more business aspect. There was more concern about money than there was about the integrity of the music. And the members had all started to do different things. And Keith, the guitar player, that's his knuckle. That's his 38 right there that invited me was my friend that gave me the opportunity. I had to work for it, but offered me the opportunity and I did it, what I needed to do to keep it. Left literally right after I did because it was no longer about that thing. I had lost that passion for sitting down and going, doom, ga, doom, doom, ga, doom. When you're sitting on a stage in front of 30,000 people and you don't know why you're there, something's wrong. And that was the <clears throat> defining moment. Yeah. And when I left that, I wanted nothing to do with music. Nothing. I literally dove into motorcycles 
as hard as I've ever dove in anything. And it wasn't building. It wasn't, it had nothing to do with building. I just wanted to be around motorcycles. I wanted to be around Sons of Speed. I wanted to be at Chopper's Inc. I wanted to go to Jeff Cochran's and then Will Ramsey's. Well, did, so did, when you started getting money, did you start buying bikes? I mean, did you like, I mean. Well, no, did I did. I, but the first bike I ever bought was the, the same chopper that I still have today, which Billy built for me that I would fly down to, to Melbourne in between legs of tours and help him build. Because he's like, no, you need to come down here and learn how to do this because you still love motorcycles. That was the one that I rode from Florida to Cali after the, the, the 15 record in between the, uh, the Black Butterfly record. We rode across the country. The whole band? But, yeah, no, me and Billy and Keith. Okay. There's a documentary um, on YouTube. It's called Route 66, and if you punch in Billy Lane. Come on. Dude, check it out. You'll love it. It's fucking okay. rad. And that's the only motorcycle that I bought. I bought a, a 46 knuckle that kept grenading, so no. I had to give that back. But <laughs> and that's okay. But and again, dude, back then a 46 knuckle wasn't going for what it is now no. at all. As a matter of fact, it was probably half. And uh, it was every bit of half. Every bit know. of half all yeah. day long. I know because I bought one. Yeah. And then yeah, I was like, no. Um, and then literally when I left the band, I was just all about motorcycles. I had not I had not decided I wanted to be in the motorcycle industry because I was already riding for Cycle Source and had been for about seven years at that time. And right when I got sober, I needed something to keep me fucking sane. So I built Cholula, which is that one that's on that banner which is the first bike I had ever built by myself in my one-car garage in Burbank with nothing. And it was strictly because Billy was like, it started with a set of tanks. I told Billy, I said, I want you to build me these set of tanks. I don't know how. And he's like, okay. So he built me a set of tanks, and then I was like, oh, well, now I need a frame and a motor. So I would use the tour all around the country yeah. and buy shit from Craigslist and put it under the bay of the bus. My, uh, my tour manager hated me. So I'd literally come back to L.A. and I'd unload everything, put it in my garage or in the living room, and then I'd go back out on tour. So you got sober while you were in the band still? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Which was... That was easy. No. <laughs> I, don't recommend, I don't recommend that to anybody. <laughs> Fuck that. Oh, you know, the, the, Like, oh, I went to rehab. And like, no, there was... No, no, there was... It was white-knuckle grit. But I had a bunch of guys that... Um, luckily, I had them with me to guide me because if not Keith and, and, and Stevie and Josh, you know, all those guys have been sober a very, very long time, not to break their anonymity, but all of those guys were crucial in my, and, and not just my sobriety, Dan, my survival, my survival of being on this earth. You know, if it wasn't for those initial times, I wouldn't be here. I, I guarantee you I wouldn't be here because I was on the road to being another statistic rock and roll like all of the guys I watch die and go how can you do that to your wife and your kids and you well i was fucking doing it you know mm -hmm. and so i built that bike and then when i left the band and i decided to move back to texas to be closer to my mother because we lost my dad in 10 um chris had started his first in motion show and he's like i need you to build a bike and i'm like no i'm not building a bike i'm not a bike builder and he said let me ask you a question man I went, yeah he said so you built Cholula in your one-car garage in Burbank pretty much by yourself. Billy giving you a welder because he's told you to stop paying people to do things that you want to learn how to do. Yeah, yeah, whatever. What, what's your point? He said, 
you rode that bike to Big Boy, You're Dan's building. Dan's Big Boy, or or Burbank, the Big Boy in Burbank, on a Friday night, and then it sold on that next Wednesday. I'm like, well, yeah. He goes, yeah, you're a builder. I need you to build me a bike. And that's how it started, literally. So I had had a drop seat conversion by a frame that Jeff had done for me, and I'd had all those connections from Cycle Source, SNS, Baker, Tech Cycle, and Chris and Heather were kind enough to help me out with those navigate those waters. And that's how it started. I built Patience, which was a shovel head that I had, for Chris's show. Mm-hmm. And I remember being on my garage floor at my house at 3 a.m. and not knowing if I was going to make the deadline at 9 a.m. to pick up my title and my plates so they could put the plate on there and get the bike to Galveston. <laughs> and I called Chris at 3 a.m. He's like, dude, what's wrong? And I go, dude, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know if I can do this. Because Billy was kind enough to let me build that bike in Daytona at his shop. But he was like, I'm not going to do it for you. You can utilize anything you need in the shop, my materials, my machines, but I'm not building this for you. So you did it over there. I built it over there and then finished it here. 3 a.m., I'm on the phone with him. I'm like, I don't know, man. I don't know if I'm going to make this. He goes, hey, remember that time we talked on your bus about that, that French run and your bus broke down and three of the members from the other band had to get off so that you guys could get on their bus and you had to literally spoon with your bass player in the back lounge so you could make the show. I'm like, well, yeah, what the fuck does that have to do with anything? He goes, it's the same mentality. This is that point. This is that point. You either figure out if you're going to do it or you fold. And I'm like, all right, man. So I stayed up all night, got the title, got the plates, put the thing in the trailer, drove to Galveston, and I'm riding next to Will Ramsey, Jeff Cochran, Bill Dodge, and all the fucking heavyweights that I know now on a machine that I had built that I didn't know if it was going to stop. I didn't know if it was going to shift. I didn't know any of that shit, dude. And I'm like freaking the fuck out. Finally get done with it. Michael Lichter's taking pictures of it. Chris walks over and he goes, congratulations. The doors are open. And I went, and that was it. And literally, I didn't have a logo. That logo that's on that on that poster was the one he created because I didn't have a name. I, I had a name that I loved for a long, long time that I wanted to do something with, whether it was motorcycle or something else. But I didn't have a logo, so he created a logo for me, that one, the original one. And then it just kind of went from there. And I had no intentions, Dan. I had no intentions of having a merch line and a business and a certificate of uh, occupancy and a sh- none of that. I just wanted to be around. I had many, and I Billy wanted me to go work for him. And then he's like, you know, I love you enough to tell you no. You need to do this on your own. If you want to do motorcycles, you need to do it on your own. And I'm like, okay, once again, I'll follow your advice because you have something that I want. You know how to do things that I want to learn how to do. And one thing led to another. That bike sold, and then I got asked to do Michael Lichter's Passion Built. Mm-hmm. And that's when I built Grace. <clears throat> and I remember being at Sons of Speed and Michael talking to me at the track and asked me, and I went, and he goes, you don't have to answer me now. Just think about it. And I said, okay. okay, okay. And I got back to the shop, and Billy looked at me, and he goes, so Michael talked to you, right? And I go, well, yeah. He goes, well, yeah, he talked to me too. And I said, okay. He goes, you don't say no to this one, Xavier. Not if you want to do anything in the motorcycle business from this point, you don't say no to this one. And I said, 
okay. And I built Grace. Advice taken. Advice taken. And I had the motor that I had bought from Keith, which was that that, uh, 53 pan shovel from Indian Larry. Got a frame. Dodge made me the tank because I loved that tank that he had on that purple knuckle or that purple shovel that he built for Kellerman. Mm-hmm. I loved that tank, and I go, I, I don't, love that whole fucking I don't want to try and mimic this bill because it's disrespectful to you. I would rather, if you could make it, I would be incredibly honored to have a piece of your work on my bike. Fuck yeah! And then Bill uh, um, Buck Wild, who did my paint, had done a couple of drum sets for me, so I knew where the paint was going. And I built, <laughs> I built cool. Grace in my garage that's cool. with none of this, you know. And then that's when the bike went on to win 2019 Easy Rider Bike of the Year, and it built, it got Cycle Source Magazine Bike of the Year, and I got Builder of the Year. So those organic steps that just kind of happen are the things that I try to remember now that I forgot about in the music application that it has to be for the right reasons of passion. Anything else is gonna be a fucking failure. Mm-hmm. And the reason I know this is because I've watched other guys do that not only with the music, but with this. So when that started to take off, that's when Chris was like, what are you gonna do? Mm-hmm. You have a template, you have a foundation. What are you gonna do? And dude, I thought about it long and hard because again, I had never set out for this. It wasn't like I left the band and it was on the plane and going, oh, I'm going to open a shop and it's going to be called this and I'm going to make these bikes and I'm going to have customers and I'm going to... It was more or less, what's the only other thing that I love to do besides playing drums and make music? Motorcycles, in any aspect of it. So at that point in time, it was like, go to work for somebody? Mm, Yeah. Or work for myself. And that's literally the decision after when all that stuff started to happen. And then Andy came to me and said, man, I really love working. You know, I really love your attitude with music. And because when we talk about, we never, we very rarely talk about merch. It's always about music. And everything just started to fall in line. Um, and who's Andy? Andy from Hot Leathers, <clears throat> okay. which is, carries my merch line. But it, that thing, I didn't, I never wanted to have a tent and a table and, yeah. Here's my merch, and here's my... I didn't want that. I just wanted to do something motorcycle-related, but I didn't know what. And then it became almost self-apparent, like, I love this. This is what I love to do. And thank God, so far, every bike that I've built, besides one, has sold. And I haven't really put a for sale sign on that one. And they're all different, rigid. FXR now, soft tail, swing arm, you know. Um, and I have a lot of great people in the industry that, that, that I call for advice. I don't call them to suck shit from them like I've seen other people do. I need their advice on things that I don't know. Like, I know how, I, drum tracking, drum tuning, cymbal composition, head, wood composition, all day long. I can do that till the fucking cows come home. But when it comes to brazing a certain two pieces of metal together that I'm not really sure of, I can call Billy or Paul or, 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 or Bill or any of those guys. And that's something, dude, that, that I don't take lightly, man. There's a lot of motherfuckers out there that don't understand that when you have the ability to call a icon about something and then guide you properly, mm-hmm. that's a 
fucking huge honor. You know, like when I called Sugar Bear about that front end, I'm like, Sugar Bear, I don't really know. And I even started the conversation. I was like, hey, man, I don't really know if you remember me, but I, I met you in, at your ranch. He goes, no, I remember you. You were out there helping me put up those tents, you and Billy and, 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 and your other buddy Joe. And I'm like, well, yeah. He goes, I remember you, Xavier. I'm like, <clears throat> okay, yeah. So, um, um. <laughs> and I told him what I had going on. And he's like, if you follow my instructions, it will be a perfect riding motorcycle. And I said, if you tell me to do it, sir, I will. You know, and I think at this point right now, the only thing that I really worry about is the conversation between you and me. I don't worry about anything for tomorrow because I don't have a crystal ball anymore, dude. That thing mm -hmm. broke a long time ago. I can't change yesterday. All I can do is right here, right now. Did you, you know? race? I did. The I raced for well, seven. I mean, like this last race. No, no, no. Okay. Uh, I haven't raced since Billy sold to Merkel. And that, or the Mac, I'm sorry, the Mac. Okay, that was the, the bike, bike that I rode okay. because he let me ride it. And it's the only bike that I worked on. You build one? I'm thinking about doing a 45 for, for, for March, for Bike me Week. Me too. Everybody is. Me, Austin Martin. <laughs> Everybody um, I think is. Jason Hallman's old lady wants to pilot one. Yeah. So, you know, and he's already got 50, 50 some odd racers in the 40 class, in the 45 class. And I think there's 14 in the pre and there's only three in the in the single cylinder but yeah the 45 classes because they're more abundant you know you can yeah. find those all over the place i mean i more or less want to build <clears throat> a dirt tracker out of a but if, yeah well i mean I, I don't even know yet but if but i would like to be able to do the the sons of speed it's, races dude, while I'm let me tell it. you when i left the band how fast were you going on the on the merkel or the mac i was going fast enough to shit myself on because an old bike like that, because though, remember, you know? there's no brakes, yeah. there's no clutch, there's no mirrors. When the bike is running, you are a direct drive, you are in motion, mm -hmm. and it only has a kill switch for the mag. And you're running on clincher tires that are basically glorified fucking 10 speed tires on a track that's 34 degrees banked, hot, oil everywhere. So, do the math. You know, and I, when Billy asked me, I didn't even think about it. I'm like, fuck yeah, let's go. And then I, I was on the plane going, what the fuck are you doing, Xavier? And you don't that know. just how, kept growing as you I, yeah, got there. I had never, I had never even sat on one <clears throat> till three days before the race. We were, I was in his shop and he's like, okay, here's how everything. And I'm thinking to myself, dude, this is the most, this is the ultimate death trap. Didn't the, didn't the same. You hear that dude's tire blew up? Yeah. Josh went down. Josh, Josh went, went down. down. Moonshiner Josh went down, and so did Rhett Rotten. Yeah, Rotten, that's right. Rotten, Rotten went down, broke a rib. Josh went down and cut his pinky off. There's no joke, dude. Those fucking bikes. <laughs> I think I probably was doing, I don't think I had even topped maybe 70, maybe 65. Yeah. But when you're on that bike, when on that track. When you're going that fast with no brakes. With no brakes. And dude, that wall comes that up alone. so fast. It comes up so fast. And I remember sitting on the being on the lift and Billy's like, well, I'm going to start it. So hang on. I'm like, well, how do, where's this, how do you start this thing? Pulls the rear tire. And it's popping and smokes everywhere. And I'm like, I'm going to fucking die on this thing. Did you get to run the track on like another bike just to get a no. feel for the track? So your I first time on the track. Was that bike <clears throat> on the track test day the Friday before the Saturday race? 
And I remember I got out there and I said a little prayer before I jumped on. And I was like, okay, I'm, there's no backing out. I'm committed. There's no backing out. And that was a race that everybody was there. Petco, Cox, uh, Johnson, me, uh, Kiefer, um, Rossmeyer, Perowitz. Everybody was there. Josh, eBay, Jake, you know. And You've got like, Co out there running up front. Co up there just taking everybody down the track, you know. And I got on that thing for the first time, and Billy was like, okay, we're going to drop you in from corner four. And you're just going to come down and make sure that as soon as it fires off, then you lean into the curve because the, cur the bank is going to want to shoot you straight into pit row. And fuck me, dude, if I didn't barely miss that entrance because I was just like, and I literally was like, because the steering on that thing is so tight. You moving your head just this much right into the wall. And now the race that I just saw, did you see the last one? Oh, you weren't there by Oktoberfest. No. Dude, those guys are getting upwards of 80 miles an hour. Garen fucking I saw a video of it. It's, it's. And they don't care. I'm more concerned with building a dirt bike. because, But yeah. I think if I'm going to go through it, I might as well be able to swap some but gears and carves. Here's and the thing. I never set out to get on that track and win. I set out to get on that track and go home that night mm. and have a really fucking good time. And I've had other people ask me to pilot their bikes, and I won't do it. Because if I can't work on it or if Billy doesn't work on it, I don't want anybody touching it because that's how shit happens. When my tire blew, I had literally just done a, 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 a couple of heat laps and I put the bike up and I'm letting her cool off and I walk away and my rear tire goes, boom! All right, went to the trailer, grabbed a tube, pulled the tire off, did it, <laughs> did it myself and I'm like, if I'm gonna go down, yeah. I'm going down on my fingertips, not on anybody else's. Mm -hmm. I don't want anybody else's fucking fingerprints on this except for Billy. And of course, Tom Kiefer, he was really great, but that was an experience that I highly recommend, but it's scary well, as See, fuck. I always go to the track with that approach. Yeah. Until I get to the starting line. And then I'm like, fuck all y'all. <laughs> I'm winning this yeah. race. Right, right. But I the know funny that's got to happen to you. Like, I know you can, you, can, you can get to the track with that approach. Yeah. But once but, you're on the track. Right. And but see, I didn't get that way. Oh, you I didn't? stayed because I know me. I've learned enough hey, about move me. Move that away from the I've the learned station. enough about me that that mentality has always gotten me in trouble. Yeah. So I'm cruising da, 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 and then there goes Shelly Rossmar. Boo! And there Fine. goes Roxy. Just let him go. Boo! And there goes Jody Perowitz. Boo! And I'm like, those some nice good looking butts there. Yeah. And I'm just like, foot, foot. And I come into the track. I think I finished all three heats, third. I'm cool. Yeah. You know, because at the end of the day, one, that's not my motorcycle. That's Billy Lane. I guess that does, yeah. Yeah, so me going out there with that gusto attitude, which uh, if I had my own bike, yeah. But I'm not going to fuck up. Maybe that's my approach. Yeah, maybe that. Get on somebody else's bike. That way I'm not like. I'm not fucking up somebody else's 1919. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. Because there's not too many of those around, bro. You know, so. Yeah, that's why that class hasn't grown too much. No, it hasn't because will, they're finding them and there's all those guys that are blowing those things up. You can't find parts. They don't yeah. make them anymore. You know, there were water pumps somewhere in Nebraska for irrigation purposes. And then they put them in a motorcycle and go, let's go around the track. You know, I mean, so. It's awesome. It's good stuff, man. Yeah, man. Well, let's do this again. I know you got to run. In. I'm in. Uh, I really appreciate it. Anytime, thanks for brother. bringing that Dude. bike back. Yeah, yeah, Bill, yeah. Bill, thanks for doing what you do. Always uh, thanks to Bill. Always thanks to Bill. He's 
How do you look when you're out there? Looks <clears> great. <throat> Got a shop full of motorcycles and doing what he does. And end of, a big end of game story. plan coming. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Cool. Big game plan. Yeah. yeah. Which is couldn't be happier. Couldn't be more excited. Oh, you know. And the gleam in his eye when he talks about it. You know, That's when the best he's part. just like and he's got that look, man. He could already called me up again. Hey, did I tell you about it? And I'm like, no, what are you talking yeah, about? Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Just what, yeah, tell me again. Because yeah. I would I need to hear. <laughs> I like hearing how yeah. excited you get, dude. Yeah, yeah. And you know, I think no, I know it's it's gonna be perfect. It's gonna yeah, be it perfect is. for him. You know. Um Geography. That's yeah. all it is. That's it. You know, but let's, let's wrap it up. Let's do it. X, thank you. You got it, my man. I got all excited there at the beginning when I was doing the intro. <clears throat> I went and saw the Rolling Stones last night. And I was about to just go off into that and talk about that show. Um, now that I've taken a break, I'm not going to do that right now because I got I got shit to do. I got a flight to catch. Uh, the Stones were fucking badass, though. Uh, those, I mean, those motherfuckers are ancient, dude. And, yeah, they just, they're just up there jamming. They don't give a fuck, dude. They literally just... I mean, I didn't realize that uh, Jagger was going to be so terrible at dancing. You know, like, I mean, these guys are old, though, too. I mean, like, fucking 78 years old, I think, is what Jagger is. But I was thinking that, yeah, I bet those fucking bikers were pissed back in the day. I bet they were fucking pissed. Those old fucking dudes hanging out on their bus, letting everybody get all fucking hot in the sun. Not wanting to play yet. Tension was high. That shit at Altamont, you know, those guys are like, these, they're like showmen, right? So I'm sure they were like building anticipation. But you don't build anticipation with a bunch of fucking angels out in the crowd, dude. I just don't think that that was a smart move there. <laughs> Obviously it wasn't, but, uh, Anyhow, it was it was rad to go see those guys. Check that one off. Uh, dude, that was cool. Thank you, Pops. Thank you, Pops. All right. Uh, really, I got to go. See you in Cleveland. <laughs>